Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. So glad to have you here. And on the line, my two closest colleagues. We have editor-in-chief of Fromers.com, Jason Cochran. Hey, Jason. Hello. And our managing editor of Fromers.com, Zach Thompson. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Well, I wanted to have you because recently we put out our biggest story of the year, which is our best places to go in 2023. We do this every year. And every year, to me, it's, it's an exciting moment because I feel like we take stock of what's happening in the world and put our own stamp on it. The way we create the list and you guys, you know, bump in if you if you have a, if you think I'm getting this wrong, but we we talk to our authors and we say to them, what destinations are going to be particularly exciting next year? What destinations are maybe celebrating important anniversaries? or are suddenly cheap that haven't been cheap, or are suddenly accessible after being inaccessible to the public. And our authors who live around the world come up with their suggestions. We go through them. Uh, we pick them. This year, we picked 15. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk to them. Did I miss any of the reasons why the, we picked these destinations, guys? Well, I think a big uh, story this year is that we had been we had done domestic destinations for two years in a row, 2020 and 2021. And um, for 2023, we're, you know, ready to re-enter the wide world again. So there, our destinations are across all six continents now. Well, there's Antarctica, but that's not on there. You know, all the six continents <laughs> that are easy to visit. Right, right. Exactly. And so, you know, often they are based around a big event. So that leads me to our first destination, which is Exmouth. Am I saying that right, Jason? Yeah, <clears throat> Exmouth. It's in Western Australia. And if you've you ever seen a map of Australia with the states and provinces delineated? Western Australia is almost the entire western half of that continent. So it's a massive, massive place. But Exmouth is this adorable town on the northwestern coast. I've been. One of the big reasons you go in a normal time, in a normal year, to Exmouth is their whale sharks. And they sound terrifying, like, oh, a shark as big as a whale. But really, they're just like these slow, like gentle creatures that are out in the water. They just, they're as big as a school bus, but probably about as scary. So people will get into the water with them. Well, that's enough reason to go to Exmouth. But in 2023, uh, we've suggested Exmouth as a great destination because it's going to be the most sizable town of note closest to a, a, a giant hybrid solar eclipse that's going to block out the sun. And that's going to be the best part of the planet on land where you can see this eclipse. That's on April 20th, which is, uh, of course, in their autumn as their autumn rolls around. But it's still quite warm in that part of the country. So we're suggesting people do that. It's such a drive. Western Australia, because it's big, uh, has some of the most epic drives you can imagine through the, the outback. So just getting there is half the fun. And you see a side of Australia that a lot of tourists don't go to see. And we also made sure to put it on the list because Australia hasn't had any tourism for the last few years because of COVID and now yeah. they've reopened. So what a great excuse to go back to Australia is to see the whale sharks 
and a rare hybrid solar eclipse and, and such an amazing drive. I mean, it's, it's sort of got everything uh, an adventure wants. We also put the area of Italy called Maratea. Uh, you know, when I say this, a lot of people get it wrong. They say, oh, you mean Matera in Basilicata. And I, I, I say, no, no, Maratea. Maratea is this coastline. It's about 110 miles southeast uh, in the Basilicata region. And it is very much like Amalfi Coast, but nobody knows about it outside of Italy. So it's got these gorgeous sea vistas from these winding roads. The town of Maratea has 44 churches in it. Uh, some of them are filled with priceless works of art. It has beaches. It has vineyards to visit. It has everything you get on the Amalfi Coast, except for the high prices and the crowds. And it's and just in the last year, it's gotten much more complicated to go to the Amalfi Coast, right, Zach? I think you wrote about this. Yeah, they have a new method of regulating traffic where you're, it's by alternate days, whether there's an even number or odd number on your license plate. So if you rent a car, you don't know, <laughs> you can't pl- pick the number in advance. So it is complicated if you're planning to drive it yourself. So it's great to have an alternative. That's nearby yeah. and just as beautiful. Absolutely. So so we are saying uh, go to Maratea. Uh, another one that's celebrating a big anniversary is Vilnius, right, Zach? Yeah, this is another European option. Uh, Vilnius is celebrating 700 years. Uh, that's as Lithuania's capital it was had that role since 1323. And they're throwing a year-long birthday party. Uh, there's a light festival in January. They're having a big huge free music festival in the summer. And it's just a great opportunity to explore Vilnius and its long and resilient history. It's a, it has an old town that's a UNESCO World Heritage Site and all kinds of architecture. It has medieval, it has Baroque, it has um, Renaissance architecture, and it's often overlooked, I think, but it's a, a very appealing destination. There are, it has a youthful like visual arts culture. There's a strong beer scene, and you can take uh, hot air balloons right from the center of Old Town, which is rare in Europe. Just a great year to uh, look into that destination in the Baltics. Yeah, it sounds great. Jason, you decided to shine the spotlight on a region of the world that had been very difficult to go visit, but is about to get easier to see. What region is that? Yeah, I guess we're going from the Pacific Ocean and Exmouth to the Atlantic Ocean in West Africa. And it's such it's a part of the world that is very populated. It's very diverse. But a lot of Westerners don't go there very much because it's hard to get to. But, uh, you know, the recent boom in expedition cruise ships that's, that's happening in the cruise industry is benefiting West Africa because now they've got all these ships that are more equipped to carry all kinds of supplies all along the coast and bring people to Western Africa for you know, almost the first time on a regular basis. Hurtigruten, which is a very famous Norwegian cruise company that also does like a kind of like the shuttle cruise that goes up and down the coast for Norwegians, they also run expedition cruises and they're starting some West Africa departures. But so is Seaborn and so is Azamara. So if you've ever wanted to see a place like Senegal or Ghana or the Ivory Coast 
you know, or some of the places where the slave trade originated, you know, hundreds of years ago, some of those fortresses are still there and function as historical tourist sites. If you've ever wanted to, to lay eyes on those places to see them for yourselves, finally, there's going to be an easier way to get there if you take one of these exhibition cruises. Now, they're having a harder time setting them up. They're not as easy to visit as you would a Caribbean island where they're, you know, Caribbean, they're already ready for boats. So uh, it, 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 this industry is starting to get rolling in a real way in 2023. So if you've ever been interested, now's the time to start looking. Yeah, and these are very luxurious lines. Seaborne or Azamara, you will have every amenity you want on board the ship, but you'll be going to really unusual ports, ports that, that Westerners have rarely visited before. But really should. so exciting. It's so interesting. Yeah, but- and you're right. It, they, they sound, because you say expedition ship, you think, well, what, am I going to be sleeping in a hammock or something like a sailor? No, they're really beautiful, nice ships. They're created for the tourist market. The ship itself can do more than an, a typical cruise ship can do. And they're smaller too, which is another benefit. Yeah. Now, I don't want our listeners to think that we only pick things that are or destinations that are really far flung. We we picked a bunch in the U.S. as well, as well as some other far flung ones we'll discuss in a moment. You chose one, Jason, in Colorado that has a particularly fascinating story behind it. Right. Okay. So picture this: there's this place in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado where during World War II, they would train soldiers how to operate uh, in high altitude in cold weather. And it's it helped our soldiers go to Italy and fight the Axis uh, in World War II, this strange little place up there in the Rockies. But once those soldiers had done their duties and helped you know save the world, they came back and they used their skiing skills to establish essentially the American ski industry, the resorts that we now mm. know and love, especially in the Rockies. So this interesting little plot of land in the Rockies has a very amazing history between the war and between our ski industry. Well, President Biden very recently finally responded to a very long campaign from the people that asked him to designate this area as a national monument. It's called the Camp Hale Continental Divide National Monument. It's about 54,000 acres, about 110 miles west of Denver, so it's easy to reach, and it's among a lot of other things to, to see in the Rockies. Uh, and it's 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 finally going to become a place where you can visit as part of the national park system. It'll be interpreted by rangers. You'll have trails and all the things that a national park has. Uh, so now's a great chance to get there before, I guess, the crowds start to go. But also just put it on your radar. Camp Hale Continental Divide National Monument in Colorado. If you would love a Rockies vacation that other people haven't discovered yet, that this is the year for that. Yeah, absolutely. And also with a World War II connection, we are ch- we chose the island of Oahu partially because they spent the pandemic getting things to be easier, to be more convenient for the tourist. Uh, so for example, you no longer are going to have to wait in crazy long lines at Pearl Harbor to see the USS Arizona Memorial and the other sites there. Now you'll be able to do it all online. Uh, there'll be timed entry. It's going to be a much more convenient, easy place to see. Uh, they're also getting uh, asking people to do reservations for the famous uh, Diamond Head Crater Hike. Go snorkeling in Hanuma Bay. You know, I'm, I'm putting a, a happy spin on this, uh, but partially this has to do with over-touristing. 
a lot of these places were getting love to death. And so in the course of the pandemic, uh, the folks in Hawaii started put, putting some controls in place so that when people came and wanted to snorkel, they wouldn't be shoulder to shoulder with other visitors. So the people, when they wanted to see the historic sites, uh, they wouldn't have to wait in massive lines. So I think this is good. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Hawaii has had a real love-hate relationship with tourism. And so... In response to that, another thing Oahu is doing is they're trying to make it easier for visitors to understand, appreciate, and in some way interact with Hawaiian culture. And so they've set up a whole bunch of uh, opportunities for volunteers. So you you could go to one of the ancient fish ponds and volunteer to help restore the historic rock walls. Or you could go to a nature site and work with native seaweed varieties. You could you could find yourself helping a farmer for a day. The Hawaiians are hoping that by engaging visitors to really engage with Hawaiian culture, that they'll respect it more, uh, that they'll, they'll think of Hawaii not just as a fun in the sun destination, but as one that has an important and really fascinating culture. So it's going to be interesting to see whether these initiatives work in the way they're intended. But because of that, there's going to be a lot that's very different on Oahu this year, and so that's why it made our list. Zach, what's another good American one that we have on the list? Well, what I'm pretty excited about is Macon, Georgia. It's in the center of the state, about uh, you know south of Atlanta and west of Savannah. Uh, it's commemorating its bicentennial in 2023. They're having historical exhibits and artistic exhibits, and uh, there's a new park that's opening. But really, they're one of their top attractions is way older than 200 years. It's Okmulgee Mounds, which is a collection of earthworks uh, built by the Muscogee Creek Nation. Uh, they date to around the year, I think, 900, excuse me, 900 CE. And there's a movement to make them uh, the, uh, a full national park. Now they're a national historical park, but there's a movement to make them a full national park. It would be Georgia's first. Uh, so that's uh, really cool to check out. In more recent centuries in Macon, they have a big, they've played a big role in popular music. So Otis Redding is from there. He has his own museum. The Allman Brothers uh, band did a lot of their record, most pivotal recordings in the early 1970s. They have a museum there. Little Richard's from there, the country singer Jason Aldean. So they have this rich musical legacy. Uh, and there are museums, there's live music venues, and the city's opening a new 10,000 seat amphitheater uh, that's expected to be finished in summer for uh, more concerts. And just to uh, just to walk around Macon's pretty cool because they have this great little downtown center that's uh, very picturesque. It's often uh, often appears in movies. So, you know, keep an eye out for movie stars because Georgia has a very thriving film industry. There are new hotels there, restaurants, shops, and they have a cherry blossom festival in the spring. It's just a cute little town and they have a lot going on. And yeah, yeah. And I know that Macon was pretty excited to be on this list. I think we appeared in, in, in every newspaper in Macon because we we, we put them on the list. Yeah. Jason, you have one that's in North America, but not in the U.S. Tell us what's happening on the Yucatan Peninsula that put it on the list. Sometimes we put things on the best places to go list because they're about to change radically. And this is your last chance to see it 
in its existing form. That seems to be the case for the Yucatan Peninsula, which you pro- people probably know it's where you find Cancun and Tulum and Playa del Carmen and a lot of those uh, gorgeous ruins like Chichen Itza. Two big things are happening in 2023 there. The first one is Tulum is getting a new airport and it's going to join Cancun's as a second giant you know, airfield that's going to bring in hordes of people. So it could potentially drastically increase the number of tourists that that region has. But also the Mexican government is opening a train. It's going to be about a thousand miles when it's fully completed. It's called Tren Maya and it links all of those places I just named in the peninsula. If you've ever been to the Yucatan in the past, you know it's a lot of buses. That's how you get around. You take one bus to another bus. This is going to streamline everything. And so they're plowing this new train, which is funded by tourist taxes, through the jungle and through, unfortunately, sometimes uh, you know, indigenous communities. So uh, it's going to change the fabric of how you see the Yucatan, the infrastructure of the Yucatan, how many people are in the Yucatan. They say by 2024, about 4 million people will be on this train. It's Now, there's been lots of delays, so it's a big question of whether they're going to get the first segment done in 2023. But whether they do or not, this is a, a, a you know one of the last moments that the Yucatan is going to exist the way it exists right now. Yeah. Yes, there are negatives with the train, but it will be a far greener source of yeah. transportation. It'll, it'll make it a much more eco-friendly place to visit. Our next one made the list because it is so eco-friendly. It's the nation of Uruguay that has a power grid that is 98% powered by renewable sources of energy, wind, solar, biomass. About a decade ago, they had a really forward-thinking energy minister who managed to get every party in the country, the conservatives, the liberals, everybody in between, on board with transforming how Uruguay was using energy. And over the course of a decade, they transformed life there to make it one of the greenest places on earth. And so when people go there, they can see maybe a, a, a glimpse of what the future will be like for the rest of us when we all, as we're going to have to do, move to these more renewable sources of energy. Of course, you don't just go to a place to be virtuous, to see green living. Uruguay is also a gorgeous gorgeous country. It has some of the best beaches in all of South America and some pretty party beaches, actually, too. There's a place called Punta del Est, which has famous sculptures that are inset into the beaches and has discotheques and top restaurants. And it's kind of the place where uh, the the glitterati uh, from other parts of South America go when they want to party. And then inland from the beaches, you have really, really great wineries. And you can go winery hopping just like you would in California. And then even further inland, you have these massive grasslands because that's that's the main industry in Uruguay. It's cattle ranching. And so just like going to the American West, you can do a dude ranch vacation in Uruguay, except, you know, Latin style. There's also Montevideo, which is the country's capital, which is very, very sophisticated place with top-notch restaurants, museums, galleries. Uh, There are beautifully preserved colonial towns. And it's, you know, it's one of the smallest countries in South America, not the smallest. And so you can get a taste of everything I discussed in a two-week vacation. 
So, so a really, really great place to go if you want to have affordable, very varied, and green vacation. It has uh, it has a really forward thinking and tolerant uh, populace too. I remember I we did a story on the most tolerant countries in the world, and it was it was uh, way up there in South America. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we also picked Karnataka basically to give them a a big thank you for what they're doing to save tigers and wild elephants. They have a national park where those populations have grown tenfold after being on the brink of extinction. But in that national park, which is known as Boridabur, you can do actual safaris. But unlike going to Africa, where you you know, you know go to Kenya, you go to Tanzania, you're going to spend hundreds of day, dollars per day on a safari drive. Uh, there, you go on a drive with an expert in an in a open-air van, and it costs $30 per drive. Wow. Part of that has to do with the fact that India is incredibly inexpensive, always has been, but even more so now because the the value of the rupee has plunged. Pre-pandemic, uh, the rupee was trading at about 30 to the dollar. Now it's 80 to the dollar. Wow. It's been interesting. We haven't seen much of a boom in Indian travel. I think it's partially because other parts of India have had a lot of unrest since the pandemic. And so uh, people have been nervous about safety. But you go to Karnataka, which is probably one of the most prosperous parts of India. It, its capital, uh, which is Bangalore, is known as the Silicon Valley of India because that's where all the engineers are and, and the tech folks. So that's a very sophisticated, very prosperous city with a very low level of crime. And then you have these ancient royal cities like Mysore. The palace at Mysore is the second most visited place in all of India after the Taj Mahal. It's that striking to see. You have Hampi, which used to be big on the hippie trail, which is also filled with ancient ruins and wonders in this really kind of wacky looking boulder strewn landscape. It almost looks like you're on, on another planet when you're there. So a part of India that's very safe to visit, filled with wonders, and as all, all, all of India is right now, just incredibly cheap. Uh, so that's why Karnataka made our list. J Japan is next, Zach. Why did Japan make the list? Well, that's another one that the, uh, the strong dollar does help uh, in Japan, which is not known for being affordable. It's uh, airfare still high to get there, but uh, you'll benefit from a stronger dollar if you're an American traveler. But the real reason to go to Japan, I think, is uh, it's kind of a delayed gratification pick. 2020 was supposed to be Japan's big year. They were hosting the Summer Olympic Games. We all know what happened in 2020. They delayed them, the games, to 2021, but they were kind of muted, muted from a uh, travel perspective. And then Japan had really strict border restrictions during COVID-19, not that it's over, but they lifted the, they finally opened to reopened tourism in October, 2022. So if you've been dreaming of a Japan trip, this is really the time to do it. Whether you're going to the always exciting Tokyo, uh, where uh, the Disney park there is celebrating its 40th anniversary with, with new rides themed to Frozen and Peter Pan and others, historic temples and palaces in Kyoto, the hot spring spas, the peace monuments in Hiroshima. There are mountains for skiing. There's oceans. There's really, I think Japan is on a lot of people's all-time must-visit list. And if 
you you if you want to go big in 2023 because you've been staying close to home, you know, you could do worse than Japan. Oh, absolutely. All right, we've got four left, just four. Jason, tell us about Athens and why it made the list. Yeah, you know, Athens is another one of those places that's just, well, a couple of things. It's having a little moment. You know, there's been a lot of improvements. I don't know if you've ever been to Athens, but it doesn't have the best reputation among European cities. People think it's dirty and it's run down, but it's, they're changing a lot of that perception right now. I mean, they've, they've recently done this incredible renovation on the National Gallery. It took eight years. They built this insane cultural center by Renzio Piano, the architect uh, and his firm, that is just a gorgeous piece of work. It's almost like a they've almost built a meadow on top of both the National Opera and the National Library. And now that's a, it's not just an uh, icon for the city. It's become an architectural icon that people know around the world. And they're building a, a new development project that's kind of near the water called Alinicon. Uh, it's going to be a little mini city. And on top of that, just a lot of cool hotels have been opening in Athens. And I, we just think it's a time to take another look and say, have you thought about Athens lately? It's undergone a lot of changes. A lot of them are really positive and it's becoming kind of an artistic and architecture hotspot. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Also in Europe, we have the Basque country, specifically San Sebastian and Bilbao. We picked them because Bilbao is going to be in the spotlight for the first time since 1992. It's going to be the starting point for the Tour de France. Uh, so a lot of a lot of attention is going to be focused on Bilbao. It's also the 50th anniversary of Pablo Picasso's death. And so the famous Guggenheim Museum there, the one created by Frank Gehry that, that looks like a spaceship, kind of. It's all curving and silver and splendid. They're going to be having very important exhibitions about Picasso. So if you're a fan, this is the year to go. It, and we know how big foodie travel is. And this region of Spain has more top-rated restaurants per capita than pretty much any place on earth. So if you spent the, the pandemic having to eat your own cooking and desperately wanting to have a great restaurant meal, you really can't do better uh, than the Basque country. Now, Zach, the second to last, and these are in no real particular order. They're actually in different order on Fromers.com. And I should say at this point, you can see the list. You can see the glorious photos we have of these places. If you go to Fromers.com slash best places 2023. Zach, why did Virgin Islands make our list? Well, the Virgin Islands, this is really a uh, heartening story of recovery. It's been five years since the uh, hurricanes Irma and Maria hit the islands within two weeks of each other, uh, just devastating many parts of the islands. And uh, then came the global pandemic shutdown. So they, they've really had a rough time, but they're kind of roaring back. Arrivals are way up. Everybody's heading there. And the islands, both the U.S. Virgin Islands and the British Virgin Islands have taking the time off, sort of like with Hawaii, to rebuild in interesting ways. Uh, Charlotte Amelie, which is the capital of the island of St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, is giving its waterfront a big multi-million dollar makeover with they're adding more outdoor spaces and kind of prettifying the infrastructure in many ways. In the British Virgin Islands, some of the classic resorts like Rosewood, Little Dick's Bay, the Bitter End Yacht Club, and many others are back and better than ever after being you know, reduced to rubble uh, by the storms. And then, um, of course, the islands are famous and 
one of the best things about them are the outdoor and natural attractions. Whether you're on, you know, St. John, where the uh, it's home to a U.S. national park, it's very green. Uh, and then there are um, interesting. If you go under the waves, there's interesting projects like a group called Beyond the Reef is making these um, art installations down there for divers and snorkelers. I saw one that's like a, a shark plane uh, combo, a hybrid. It's you know, it's not real. It's I, like a a shark plane. I'm confused. What does that mean? Plano. <laughs> it's somebody's somebody's artistic vision, and you can like look around. It looks like a reef. But anyway, huh. yeah, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and the last one is Dawson City, Canada. Now, that may be a name that's familiar if you know anything about the Yukon Territory and the Gold Rush, but the folks there really want to change the focus in telling that history. It's always been told by the from the point of view of the people who came there looking for gold, but nobody has ever really discussed the much longer history of that region, which is an indigenous history until now. The National Parks of Canada have a new interpretive program that takes a critical look at the impacts of the colonial government uh, on the indigenous people there, the people who were displaced when the miners came in. There are now new tours telling that history. So people who go to Dawson City, uh, which is a great place to see the northern lights, and there's lots of great nature around there. If you want to go hiking or mountain climbing, whatever you want to do, there's lots to see and do. But if you're going there for history, you're finally going to get the full story. Is that fair to say, Jason? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and by the way, I mean, that that's going to be interesting enough because I know very little about the indigenous history of Dawson City. But the gold rush history is itself a second reason to to, to go because, uh, you know, th- that was about a 50,000 person city at the peak of it. Now the population is like less than 1,500. So there, it was a real boom town. Um, it, 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 there's this fascinating documentary called Dawson City Frozen Time that tells you all about the history of Dawson City because a, a few years back, someone discovered a trove of of uh, forgotten movies that were a hundred years old and they found them in Dawson city and uh, they made this big documentary about it. And it tells you the history of the place. At one point, the previous president's grandfather, when he left Germany because he refused to serve in their military, he opened a house of ill repute there. Uh, Hmm. And, uh, and one of his big competitions in town was Sid Grauman, who eventually built the, you know, the famous Chinese theater. They were competitors when they were young men in Dawson city. And that's just a little piece of what an interesting, fascinating, uh, illustrious and illustrious uh, history that Dawson City has, and it. it's it's worth checking out. And that's the thing I love doing about this list. It, it kind of reacquaints us with the entire world to do this worldwide survey to look at what's changing, to look where history is being told in different ways, or prices are going down. It's, it's my favorite task of the year. I don't know if you guys agree. Yeah. <laughs> Silence. I guess you I don't. don't. I'm thinking about ranking my tasks. Um, yeah, it's fun, especially when you get to, like you said, like when you get to know a place you, you haven't, I'm putting places on my travel list myself when I put this list together with you guys, like Dawson City, I want to go to now. And I wouldn't have if I hadn't done all this work uh, to do the list. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys. It was great chatting with you. 
And as I said earlier, you can see the entire list, read it in full, see the beautiful photos at fromers.com slash best places 2023. Uh, that's it for this week's podcast. I thank you so much for listening. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Watching cable.